MailChimp presents. As a marketer, you're speaking to a vast audience. Some people need to be converted into customers, some need to be reunited with their carts, and others have just made a purchase. But when you fail to segment your audience and personalize your messaging, you can get what's called a customer. One big cluster of customers who may seem alike, but actually all have different behaviors. So how do you turn those customers back into customers? With Intuit MailChimp, you can use personalization tools that segment customers into groups, break them up into like-minded target audiences, and send them personalized marketing. Intuit MailChimp, the number one email marketing and automations brand. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022. Availability of features and functionality vary by plan, which are subject to change. We all have that elder, you know, like an auntie, a friend, a parent, who drops wisdom on us and changes the course of our lives. This season, I'm talking to 15 incredible people about important moments they went through and how the elders in their lives got them through it. I'm your host, Jenny Yang, and this is Going Through It. This week, Anjanu Ellis. I see it in my mind's eye right now, Jenny, and it changed me in that moment. I was like, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. If I need to look at my lines before I act, that's what I have to do. As long as what's on the other side is something that honors the story that you're trying to tell, that's all that matters. How you get there is your business. This episode, we're going to hear about two moments, two elders, and two acts that changed today's guest, actor Anjanu Ellis. While shooting for her role as Hippolyta in Lovecraft Country, Anjanu worked alongside Michael K. Williams, who passed away in September of last year. We recorded this interview just a few days after he passed, and I want to mention that this conversation is a pretty emotional one. When I spoke with Anjanu, she was processing Michael's sudden loss. And she was so open and honest about how challenging it can be to lose someone so special. Michael was a beacon for Anjanu, as he was for so many others, and his deep sense of humanity impacted her both on and off screen. Michael was only a few years older than her, but she looked up to him as a mentor. His strength also reminded Anjanu of her grandmother and how both of them left a mark on her life, not just with words, but with actions. I really wanted to talk about my grandmother, but I wanted to talk about Michael, because Michael has become an elder. In his passing, Michael has become an ancestor. When I came to work on Lovecraft, I was experiencing a moment of professional tumult, you know, Mm. just a ship in an ocean that was just a hurricane. Could not steady myself and, you know, had all these identity issues, not about who I was, but in terms of how to do my job. (laughs) It was real simple. I worked on this job before I did Lovecraft. 
And we were rehearsing a scene, big, big group scene. And so the woman who was essentially the star of the film, she was sitting next to me, I was sitting right next to her. And they were passing out sides, you know, the material that we were supposed to work on for the scene that day. And so I have all of my, I have my sides in my hand. Because I had worked on that scene forever in my bedroom in Mississippi, I knew everybody's lines. You know, I didn't need my sides, but I was so nervous that I had my nine pages of words, you know, they were my Bible, sacred. So they handed me my sides and I said, uh, thank you. And then they handed, they went to hand the leading actor hers. And she said, I don't bring sides to set. And of course, me being the wet noodle I am, <laughs> I'm sitting there going, oh my God. I spiraled, girl. I spiraled. I went into my, I went into my little honey wagon trailer and I was just like, I'm a loser. I'm uh, a loser. I ain't sorry, I don't mean to curse, but I'm like, I ain't shit. This is why this woman is so successful because she don't bring size to set. And look at me, I got my nine pages of work. I mean, I just I was in that little closet space and just questioned everything about myself. Everything about myself. Now, what ended up happening was the rest of the day, this woman, who's a brilliant person, brilliant actor, she was struggling. She struggled because she didn't know, she didn't know what she was saying. She didn't know her words. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And everybody around her did. But I still was like, you know, questioning how to do my job. Fast forward a few months later, I'm working on Lovecraft. It was my first day shooting with Michael. And Michael had his sides. Every time someone said action, Michael has his sides in his hands. He puts the sides down and then he's ready to do the scene. I have never once, not once, seen him say a word without looking at his material, without looking at the words of the writer. Not one time. And you know how brilliant he is. So when I saw him do that, I was like, that's the example I need to follow. F that woman. You know what I'm saying? F that. Because that was some narcissism at play there. With MKW, there was a deference to the words of the screenwriters. You know, just a deference to the process. Like, I'm not bigger than the words that I'm saying. I'm here to be of service to that. And that's yes. who he is. I will not say who he was. That is who he is. And it changed me. It changed me. And he, he healed me, Jenny, without knowing it. He rooted me when I was a tree tossed in the wind. Like he grabbed me from the air and placed my feet into something that I could hold on to. He would not let anybody be in his presence and not make them feel like they belong, like they were a, a part of something beautiful, that they were beautiful. Yeah. He is a rare human being. He is a healer, and he will continue to be that way. And it's one thing people see him on screen and think, oh, he, this man is so fine. And <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? Like, just gorgeous. 
What they don't know is how, you know, people can change from set to set. Right. You know what I mean? Who somebody was five years ago is different from who they are, you know, now. So different people can have a different relationship with someone depending on the job that they're doing. And I've talked to people who work with Michael years and years ago, and they got the same story that I have. You know what I mean? Unchangeable. So Michael, I won't call him elder, but he is that in that special way of someone who lived and fosters us, fosters all of us. And I'm so grateful. I got a chance to say, I I knew Michael K. Williams. I'm so lucky for that. I'm so lucky. Oh, my God. Thank you for sharing. I mean, he really taught you from his own example. And it's just so powerful the way that he could just walk on set and without even knowing it or meaning to just have such a deep impact on you. Yes. Yes. And he, I mean, I'm telling you, like, I I see it in my mind's eye right now, Jenny. And it changed me in that moment. Changed me. I was like, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. If I need to look at my lines before I act, that's what I have to do. As long as what's on the other side is something that honors the story that you're trying to tell, that's all that matters. How you get there is your business. (laughs) Michael wasn't looking around like, oh, what are y'all thinking about me? He didn't care. He's just trying to be as brilliant as he knew how to be, which is easy for him, you think, right? You think, oh, it just comes natural to him, you know? But no, first, what you saw in 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 his way of working were the words, the words he had to say. Can you describe more after that moment what that changed you? How you felt and how that affected how you were on set for the rest of the shoot? I got out of that silliness. You know what I mean? I just, I got out of that silliness. I stopped questioning myself. I mean, this man freed me. He freed me. He, just, he didn't just heal me of my, you know, insecurity about how I worked. He freed me from caring about how I thought other people thought I worked. You know, girl, talk about baggage. The baggage that we carry around with us. Yes. That is just yes. so unnecessary to do. And I was carrying a weight, all this weight with me. And he was just like, put that down. You don't need that. <laughs> You don't need all that. Bag lady. Put that down. You know what I mean? Just do your work. Cue Erica Badu. Cue Erica. You gonna hurt your bag carrying all them bags like that. And that's what I was doing. And he was like, girl. He didn't even say these things to me. No. He did it. He did it by just being himself. And I, I mean, this is going to bring me back to my, to my grandmother. I grew up with my grandmother. Her name was Mrs. Murtis Taylor. She raised me in southwest Mississippi in a town called Macomb. And so my grandmother was this woman who was the, the wife of a man who was a pastor, and he pastored four different churches. 
because during that time, a lot of people don't have cars, a lot of people didn't have access. You can just get in a car and go to church. So a lot of times these ministers, they would pastor several different churches and people would go to church once a month mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when the pastor could be there, right? So my grandfather was one of those pastors that pastored four different churches. So when my grandfather passed away, my grandmother became this first lady. She was the first lady of the, all these churches, but she was a first lady of a community, essentially. So when I went to live with her, mm-hmm. part of her you know, duty, as she understood it in the world, was to take care of the sick and shut-in. Like That's a term that we use in church all the time, sick and shut-in. And so she would go, and my childhood was spent taking care of sick people and taking plates to people who were hungry and sitting with people who were older and and couldn't get out and you know that's what my grandmother did that's who she was and in so many ways i i feel that i'm a straight line from that that's what i understand of how you are supposed to be as a human being you know it's not just cultural for me of course it is it's cultural it's my heritage of course But I know that as my understanding of what humanity is. How did that foundation lead you to creative work? Like, was your grandmother interested in that? My grandmother was not liberal with her emotions, right? So I remember I was was nine or 10 at the time, and I'd say, Grandmother, what would you change about yourself if you could change anything about yourself? And I remember my grandmother saying to me, well... You know, I wish I could talk more. I wish I could talk more. And so I thought about it. You think about these things, of course, years later, like you contextualize how deep that is. You don't see it in the moment, but later on you're like, ah, right? When I think about her, people were always coming to her and talking to her. You know, they would come on Sunday evenings and just sit on our porch and in our living room and just talk to my grandmother. You know what I mean? But she wasn't necessarily a talker. My grandmother was a doer. She was a doer. I was not trying to be an actor. I didn't grow up imagining that I would be an actor. I had no interest in being an actor. I knew I wanted to be something creative, but it wasn't acting, right? So our little outlet for our creativity was church. And there was this day that it was torrential rainfall. It was probably a tornado. I don't know what kind of catastrophe it was going on at the time, but nobody should have been out on the streets at all, on the roads, nobody. And I had, I was given, they wanted me to say a poem. Like these kids were always saying poems in church. So I was assigned to do a poem in like this program on Sunday night. And I was begging my grandmother, please, grandmama, take me. Now my grandmother had me in church five days out of the seven days. (laughs) So for me to have to ask her to take me to church tells you how bad the weather was. Yeah. So she was like, Anjanou, it's too bad. I can't, blah, blah, blah. And I just kept begging her and kept begging her, kept begging her. She relented. We got in the car. We didn't have the best car in the world at all. We got to maybe, I don't know, 100, 200 yards from my house. And the car got stuck in the mud. And my grandmother got out of the car and pushed the car out of the ditch. Mm. I don't know how old my grandmother was. She probably was 70-ish. And she pushed that car out of a ditch so that I could go to church and say that poem. How did she do that? 
You tell me how she did it. <laughs> she did it. She did it. She got. I watched her get out of the car and push it. I'm assuming an old ass heavy car. You know it was old, ugly. You know I didn't mean to say ugly, but it was ugly. <laughs> it was all of that. How did you think she was able to push that car at that moment? I didn't think anything. I just wanted to say my poem, girl. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was a stupid kid. It's only years and years later, years and years later, I'm somewhere probably who knows where I am. And it just hits me what she did. Yeah. And so what I'm saying is whatever I had in me that was saying, you want to be a creative human being, my grandmother and I weren't having any sort of conversation like that is what I'm saying. But that act, that superpower act that she did was her pushing me into me having this conversation with you right now, essentially. Oh. And and that's what Michael did to me. Like, we never had these kinds of conversations, but this man changed my creative life. That woman, without saying a word to me, ordered my feet into wherever I'm, I still don't know where I'm going, but she ordered my feet into, into what it was, into what it is now. You know, and I just think that's so important. It's like we talk so much shit, Jenny. We talk so much <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? But the real measure of who we are is in what we do. Yeah. They they supported you and moved you in the direction you needed to go through their action. Through their actions. It's true. It's not like necessarily you said, Grandmama, this poem that I perform shall set me in the direction of becoming a grand actor. Right. But... In that moment, she supported you. Yeah. I love this parallel that you're drawing between your experience with Michael and what your grandmother raised you to understand to be the way to exist, which is you use this term to be of service. Yeah. And you you also use that same term when you described how Michael approached his acting and his work. Yeah. That he was just trying to be of service to the word and right and to the story. And so I, I can see this the straight line between your grandma and Michael. Yes, definitely. What I have in common with my grandmother is not being a talker. You know, there are people who probably would disagree, but I'm I'm not a talker at all. You know, I'm very much an introvert. And I've been in situations with people in my life where they need me to say something and I just I say very little because I want to be judged by my actions. We have this song from growing up in church, and it says, may the work that I've done speak for me. And I just want that to be the guiding principle for my life, because I feel like that was the guiding principle for my grandmother's life. May the work I've done speak for me, because she didn't, she wasn't a speaker. That's not who she was. She was a doer. You know, people have stories about what she did, not about what she said about what she did. My grandmother never said to me, girl, you're going to be great one day. She (laughs) never said that to me, ever, ever. Michael and I never had one conversation, not one conversation along those lines, not one. But he changed my life, changed my life. Our actions, even passive ones, have the power to impact others in ways we may never realize. Anjanu's grandmother didn't have to tell her to look after others. She just let her work speak. 
And Michael never knew about Anjanu's anxieties, about bringing her script to set, but his example spoke loud and clear. It sounds like a heavy burden, feeling like someone's always watching or like we always need to be acting like our best selves. But I also think it's motivating. You never know who you can be helping when you lean into your own vulnerability of being human and move with intention. Going Through It is an original podcast created in partnership with MailChimp and Pineapple Street Studios. Executive producers for Going Through It are Jayanne Berry, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Max Linsky. Our managing producer is Agarenish Ashagre. This season is produced by the all-star team of Sophia Steinert-Evoy, Emerald O'Brien, and Yinka Rickford-Anguin. And we're edited by the irreplaceable Aaron Edwards. We're engineered to perfection or very close to it by Davey Sumner. Our theme music was produced by Raj Makija. Dawood Anthony also produced original music for this season with additional tunes from Epidemic Sound and Blue Dot Sessions. Legal services for Pineapple Street by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson Des Rochers. Extra special thanks to Himia Freeman for his support on this production. And of course, the biggest thanks to my own elders for everything and for being the inspiration behind the show. Mom, Dad, Margaret Cho, Tracy Kato Kiriyama, Keiko Agena, Tim Sams, Gina Lugong, Kwan Fung, Michelle Ko, and so many more. And thanks in general to my loud-ass partner, Corey Higgs, for staying quiet in the house for me. And thank you for listening.